Welcome to the We Talk Careers podcast brought to you by Women in ETFs. This is Christine Delano, and I'm thrilled you've joined me. Twice a month, we'll meet an amazing executive who'll share a story about her career and give us some great insight into her success. So if you are pursuing excellence in your own career or intrigued by the hustle required for a career on Wall Street, this podcast is for you. If you haven't yet, please take a moment to subscribe. Survival is essential. Success is great. But what does it mean to thrive? We've compiled the most popular and compelling advice from our guests and created a Thrive Guide with a workbook on leadership skills such as clarifying your vision and growing your influence. You can grab it at christinedelano.com. To find out more about our show and our guests, I invite you to follow me on Instagram. All these links will be in the show notes. So put aside that massive to-do list and let's get inspired. In this episode, we are talking to Mona Nakfi about Media 101. Have you dreamed of getting in front of the camera and sharing your insights? Are you currently in a role where you represent your company? Or are you simply interested in what it takes to be successful in the media? I'm pleased to have Mona join me today. Mona is the global head of ESG Capital Market Strategy at S&P Global. She leads the firm's commercial and go-to-market strategy for its growing suite of ESG products. Mona was awarded the 2021 Index Leader of the Year Award by Women in Asset Management and was recently on CNBC's ETF Edge show speaking about evolving ESG standards. Mona was a lifelong Londoner turned New Yorker, but after a decade in New York City, she and her partner Eric relocated and now split their time between Miami Beach and Southern Italy. Mona is fluent in three languages, Farsi, English, and Italian, can get by on another two, Arabic and Spanish, and as well as learning new languages, she loves to bake, travel, and read. She also enjoys getting creative with painting, amateur pottery, and gin-based cocktails. Delicious. <laughs> so I am pleased to welcome Mona Nakfi to the We Talk Careers podcast. Welcome, Mona. Thank you, Christine. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's such a pleasure to have you. And I am excited about you sharing your insights and learnings with us today. But before we dig into all the guidelines and advice you have on media training, which I am just enthusiastic to learn, would you be willing to share a story about having to think on your feet that perhaps all our listeners can relate to? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> thinking on my feet is what I um, try to avoid doing, but it I find myself um, doing it all the time. <laughs> uh, just recently, actually, we uh, were hosting our global sustainability conference um, in Paris. And I was emceeing the event, which was very exciting. It was the first time we had gathered a whole group of people together in person following the pandemic. And we had media in the room and it was a really full audience, super engaging. And the energy was was, was wonderful. Um, but on the technical side, and there's always something, things definitely could have been a little bit better. Uh, so in between a couple of panels, I was asked to make comments about the prior panel and sort of link to the next one and intro the new speakers. And typically this transition would only be, you know, one or two minutes max. So I'd go up on stage, I do my thing, I draw some analytical parallels, try and sound super smart and then proceed um, to the next speaker. Um, and on one occasion I was doing this and then sort of intro the next lady and 
just completely like fell silently. There was um, no one behind the scenes waiting to come on stage. And I sort of just stood there fidgeting for a nanosecond and it felt to me like a really long drawn out minute um, while this audience of just, I mean, really engaged. Surprisingly, no one was talking amongst themselves. There were hundreds of blank faces and suits just sort of staring right back at me, at which point I thought, okay, she's just not ready. She'll be on in a moment. Um, so I add a little bit more finally ready to introduce her again um this time with 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 big comedic <laughs> grandiosity and um drum roll you guessed it nothing and and this actually went on it was comedic it went on several times <laughs> without any indication from the um show producer as to what on earth was going on and so what was supposed to be like a 30 second one minute intro ended up being me at the podium by myself on stage with hundreds of people looking at me for six minutes right and that those six minutes may not sound like a long time it's like an when eternity. <laughs> exactly. It was an eternity. Um, so that was definitely me having to think on my feet. I made the most of it. I um, I told some jokes. I took the opportunity to talk about related topics and tangential themes that were of interest. And at one point, I even got so desperate, I took a manual poll of the audience with a show of hands on a question that honestly, I just wanted the answer to for my own curiosity. Um, but actually, you know what? In the end, I had... A lot of folks come up to tell me and say that was their most enjoyable and informative moment of the whole day. Um, and it really just warmed up the audience and cheered everybody up and made for a far more engaging day afterwards. So good things can come from really awkward situations sometimes when you're asked to think on your feet. I'm sure it was engaging, actually, when you think about it. You know, you're sitting there, you're just absorbing, you know, all this information coming from people. And then you watch someone, you know, like on the fly, having to think on her feet and entertain you. I, I think that's that's fantastic. Had you prepared for this type of scenario? I mean, did you have jokes in your back pocket? I think I, I don't know that I would have been able to come up with a single joke had that been me. So how did you prepare for something like that? Well, the truth of the matter is I didn't, and I probably should have. So lesson number one, definitely come pre-prepared for all eventualities. But, um, you know, I, th I think it was a good lesson on what makes good media and makes good engaging content when you're in front of an audience because luckily for me it was on a topic that I know intimately and so having that sort of genuine expertise came handy um, and I could kind of freestyle for a few minutes on that but also I, I just kept it lighthearted and fun and I you know I don't take myself too seriously and um, the jokes were mostly at my own uh, expense so <laughs> that's being British and self-deprecating comes naturally so that was easy but yeah I, I think it was it was kind of entertaining and, you know, I, I just took a chance to engage with the audience, to be honest, keeping things interactive. And I took the chance to, to learn something as well. And it ended up working out pretty well. I actually had someone come up to me at the end saying, um, oh, I'd love to co-author a, a paper on that poll you asked because it was a really insightful result. And I was like, really? <laughs> so good things can come from from those tricky situations, especially if you, you just don't take it too seriously. I think that's usually um, the best way to handle these things. So you have to tell us what you asked. Like, what was that poll question? Uh, <laughs> um, so, it, well, it was a sustainability conference and the panel after me was about the role of indexing in helping the transition to a sustainable economy. And one of the questions we get asked often is, um, as S&P, you know, why not make the S&P 500 a more sustainable index? Why do you have different flavors of it 
why not just change the reference benchmark? And so th- this is a question I love because it really tells you the temperature of the room in terms of how sustainability leaning the group is on how they vote. You asked like, that the makes question. makes so much sense. Yeah, that makes a lot yeah. of sense. So I asked the question, like, should we switch or should we keep the sep- separate ones? And like, to my surprise, I've like, jaw just dropped and hit the bottom of the stage. It was one or two people out of hundreds were like, yeah, keep the 500 as it is. And everybody else was like, no, let's change it. And I knew instantly, okay, I am, I am with sustainability people. Of course I'm in Europe. Um, if this were a mainstream finance conference, I think it would have gone the other way, but that in and of itself was really telling that that, that many people felt the reference benchmark needs to change. And, and that was, um, yeah, super insightful. Uh, and I'm, shock something I thought of on the fly <laughs> worked out but you know when you're when you're in a subject matter and, and you talk about stuff all the time you do have questions you do have problems that you ponder and you know I, I think a good engaged audience is a really great testing ground to stress test ideas and if, if all else fails and you have nothing else to communicate outwards why not ask them a question and uh, get some info and intel uh, on your space. I love it. Yeah. We have a number of people who MC that I know are listeners because I get emails from them. And doing these on-the-fly polls with the audience on something that is specific to the conference that you're at and that can really tell the temperature and sort of the interest of folks, I think is great because now anyone who's speaking later or in a panel later on stage knows that reference point and maybe even can, you know, to use that in their commentary on their answer. So I I think that's, it's just a great uh, little tidbit idea for those looking to engage a large audience like that. Well done. Well done. (laughs) So our topic is really this media 101. So folks that are perhaps already ensconced in representing their company and, you know, going on shows and, and talking about their point of view, or those that are thinking about it, or even those that are like, do not put a camera in my face, but I'm sort of intrigued by what it takes to do it. Can you help define sort of the basics of media 101 for our listeners? Well, Christine, for me in my space, ESG, um, which is ridden with a lot of confusion and misconceptions right now, media is all about education and engagement. For me, you know, I'm not really just looking to broadcast and communicate my message in one direction. It's a public conversation. For me, media gives me a platform to tackle those misconceptions head on, to challenge mainstream dogma. Uh, around traditional finance and to hopefully inspire new ways of thinking about the world. And most importantly, is it's really to engage in a healthy conversation. You know, I find just like the poll I did at the audience, I learn just as much from my audience as I hope to impart. Um, and, and I really do believe that with all the tools available at our disposal today in this sort of age of information and access, if you're still using media simply to broadcast outwards in one direction, you're really missing the whole point. It's a really great platform to engage and learn just as much as it is to to communicate. Oh, well said. Absolutely. So when we started this podcast, you know, with women in ETFs, it really was to sort of serve the women within the ETF space, high finance space. But what we have found is that it is really something accessible to so many people, men and women at different places in their career, sort of learning from folks that have made mistakes, had challenges and found some you know, tremendous success. So I don't often do this, but can you just give a couple sentences on ESG? You've mentioned that a few times, but we may actually have listeners that 
don't know how to translate those three letters? Oh, of course, absolutely. Um, so ESG stands for Environmental, Social and Governance. And it is within the broader remit of sustainability and sustainability investing. So there are many flavors and shades of ESG, which is partly why there are so many misconceptions. So I'll do my best to explain it the way I see it, which is if you look at the way traditional finance has evolved over the years, it hasn't necessarily modernized and kept up to date with the changing macroeconomic conditions and big global trends and technologies that have emerged. So most traditional finance is pretty backward looking and historical. The way we assess the value of a corporation is based on very narrow financial measures of things like cash flow and physical assets. But one of the biggest changes over the last several decades has been the rise of intangible assets. So a company's reputation and brand count for so much more today than ever before. And there are unique risks and opportunities that impact that. So for example, what is a company's strategy on climate change? What are the risks it faces from uh, rising carbon taxes? And beyond the environment, things like what does its diversity and inclusion metrics look like? And how well is the company governing uh, its risk management around you know, social uh, changes and preferences? There's a lot packed into that one little metric that really encapsulates thousands of potential alternative data points. But what it tries to do is better assess those intangible, hard to measure assets that have otherwise kind of flown under the radar of traditional financial modeling and tries to create a more um, holistic and accurate assessment of the true value of a corporation, taking into account its impact on society and the environment and stakeholders more broadly, because at the end of the day, companies need a license to operate. And we are not alone on an island as corporations. We are part of a world and part of a community. And so it's that kind of two-way process of, of both leaving your mark on the world and also making sure that you're protecting it and conserving it. So ESG is really all about sustainable investing, taking that more informed lens with new types of data to make more informed investment decisions. Thank you, Mona. Well, it's certainly clear why you've had so many opportunities on the national news shows, company-sponsored events, even social media. What practical step-by-step advice do you have with our listeners uh, when they think about their own opportunities in media? It's a great question. Um, You know, for me, I think it really comes down to having something true and meaningful to say. So not media for media's sake, but actually having a message, a meaningful message. And I think if you have that, the engagement will come naturally. It will just follow. Um, And I also think it's very important today to really think through and understand deeply the implications of your message. Um, As individuals and as corporations, we are responsible for our own words and the consequences that follow. And media shouldn't just be, you know, an afterthought. It should be a very carefully orchestrated, clearly planned platform to really amplify a purposeful message. And I think if you believe what it is you're saying, and you're not just saying it for media's sake, um, others will in turn believe you. Truth and belief that seem quite fundamental um, when you're looking to speak about something, knowing yourself, not just raising your hand for any opportunity. It seems so simple, but perhaps for someone wanting to break into this world of influence, perhaps it can be a struggle for you not to sort of stay in your lane and sort of understand your own truth, your own belief. So how do you encourage people to do that, especially around engagement? Yeah, so I I actually have um, a sort of 
a list of questions that I ask myself before I speak up uh, in a media context. Um, and I think they're quite useful uh, tips to live by if you're trying to be influential. So kind of in that same vein, the first is, you know, is what I'm saying true? Um, and what evidence do I have to back this up? That's just common sense. But unfortunately, there's a lot of misinformation out there today. So I think it's really important that we take a step back and just make sure uh, what we're saying is really robust. And to, to your point, like, is this what I really believe deep down? Is it aligned with my beliefs? Is it internally consistent with other things I've said? And can I fully defend my views in the face of substantive criticism? Now, of course, that doesn't mean not being open to hearing alternative perspectives and possibly changing your mind if you are presented with counter evidence that's robust and meaningful. But I think that's what makes engaging the public conversation meaningful. It's a true exchange of ideas that has the power to potentially influence and sway people backed by robust evidence. And, and without that, it's just, you know, a town square with people shouting their opinions, which is fine in certain contexts. But if you're really trying to use media as a tool to inspire new ways of thinking or influence behavior change, then there better be a good reason. And, and for me, it's having that really clear motive, um, really clear agenda that's driven by something beyond just your ego and your own personal commercial gain, but actually in service of something bigger, more meaningful and purposeful. Yeah, I spoke recently on behalf of an organization I, I believe strongly in, which is Young Life. And I had started to pull my notes together and it immediately made it about myself, right? Who I was, why I care about teen mentoring and supporting teens. And, and I remember sitting back hard in my office chair and correcting myself, you know, if I was truly going to kind of engage everyone in the audience to get involved, to give, to care. I needed to talk to that one parent who was struggling to connect with their teenager, right? You know, how were they feeling? How did it feel when their teenager was sad and they didn't want to talk? And how did it feel when they didn't have the words and, you know, a fight broke out, you know, between them? And it really yeah. changed my whole approach because my motive was to really connect to one person, not like a whole audience of people from different perspectives where I was just trying to introduce myself. And it was a big lesson for me. Yeah, it's a really good point because I, I feel, especially as women in a largely male dominated industry, sometimes rattling off the resume is what we naturally defer to because it helps. It's kind of like a crutch that gives us the confidence that we are credible and what it is we have to say. And we sometimes feel we have to kind of overstate that. And in many instances, that might well be true. But if people are only listening to you based on your resume, then they're probably not a very open audience to, to be influenced anyway. Um, and really, it's when you have that nugget that resonates or that experience that's shared or that inspiring piece of advice that gets to the heart of the problems they're facing, that's when you have the best chance of actually inspiring and, and having a successful platform to to change the world in whatever way you, you want to. And, and so I think your experience really speaks to that. Yeah, we have something called a Thrive Guide that we've put together for our listeners on this show. And we're going to be updating it with these delivery questions that you ask yourself before, because I think it's just so important. You know, the first one about truth, and then we got belief, alternate perspectives. What's your motive? What else do you have for us in terms of the questions you ask? So once you've established the motive being bigger than yourself, and you know that what you're saying is true, I think it's also important to ask, 
how is my message adding value to the conversation? Am I simply echoing what others have already said before me? Or is this information actually new and useful? And I think that also gets to the heart of why am I delivering this message? Is it purely for ego reasons? Or is it for commercial gain? Or is it because you have something new and meaningful to say? But most importantly of all, and I think this is a good question for senior executives to ask themselves, especially, which is why am I the one delivering this message? And if your answer to that question is simply, oh, well, it's my seniority or my hierarchy, then you might not actually be the best person to truly educate and engage. The ideal answer to why am I the one delivering this message is because I'm the one with something to say, in my view. And I have something to say that no one else is saying, or that adds context and color to an already you know, thriving conversation that is powerful and meaningful. And of course, that you have the skills and the knowledge. Um, there's unfortunately, especially in my space, there's a lot of noise and uh, some of it is obviously very helpful, but a lot of it is also a number of voices just clamoring to to be heard, but without really having a key message. And, and that I think can, can dampen the influence of a space and actually work against it. So it's very important to ask, why are you the one delivering this message? I think that's a fantastic question to ask in so many different ways of our life. Um, as many know who have listened to the show, I'm a fiction writer and I'm in the edits of a manuscript now about a strong, driven woman in high finance who's losing confidence in her personal life. And at the same time, she's discovering sort of some devastating secrets in her firm. I'm enmeshed in her story. I you know, the question I asked myself as I wrote this story, and not the first two practice novels that I didn't even publish, but why was I the one to write this? And, you know, I felt like that was going to be so key to my delivering a very compelling story, right? Why was my voice, my perspective unique? And frankly, it's, you know, one of the reasons why I love doing this podcast, because I think the way that I tell a story is enriched by learning about so many different aspects of our industry and the lens in which our guests see different mm. aspects of this industry is so compelling to me as I work on characterization and work on sort of the tensions that exist in all our careers. So how you know that you are the right person to deliver the message, I think is just so key in so many facets of life, even in, you know, parenting or relationships or things like that. You know, when you know you need to speak up, why are you the one to speak up? Absolutely. No, that's really riveting. I can't, I can't wait to read your novel. Um, please do share it with me. But, you, you know, it's funny because as females as well, there's a balancing act here because sometimes we run the risk of feeling imposter syndrome, like we don't belong. This isn't, you know, you start to doubt yourself and it's unclear whether you should be the one. I don't mean that, what I, but it's sort of, it's hard to explain, but you sort of know it when you see it whether you're the right person to really amplify and, and communicate that message. And, and it's, it's, it's hard to pinpoint in words, but you just know when it's right. Right. And sometimes you just know you want to be that person. So what is the preparation you can do to get there too? Exactly. Um, any other questions you ask yourself? Just a, a final one, I would say, um, but, but it's important, is to really be clear, be concise, and stick to the message, um, the key message. And, it, and if you find yourself scrambling and waffling all over the place and you don't have a key message, then you probably shouldn't be broadcasting at all. So, so really, you know, having that, that clarity of uh, voice with what you want to say is a prerequisite, I think, for all of those other questions before. Fantastic. I, I want to sort of pause on that clarity of voice. It also seems to sort of run into how can you predict 
where this interview is going or what you're looking to convey is going. So do you have different types of ways where you can predict what the next question is and start preparing for what you need to say, say, you know, on a recent CNBC interview that you did? How do you do that well? Yeah, you know, certainly when I was younger and earlier on in my career, um, I would over-prepare. I'm an over-preparer. Well, I was anyway, by nature. And absolutely, there's nothing wrong with coming prepared and doing the work beforehand. And especially if you're someone who has nerves or, um, you know, sometimes can get paralyzed when having to think on your feet, it pays to be prepared. And, And even if it's not the precise wording you end up using, it just gives you the confidence to go in and feel you you can handle anything that comes at you, then great. But what I also found is that as I matured and developed my career further, that confidence that came from over-preparing has just become naturally instilled in me and is now second nature. And that, I think, is you know just part of that journey of experience and learning by doing. And I'm you know pleased to, to feel that I'm at a place in my career and knowledge of my space where I don't need to do that anymore. It just comes naturally because I know my stuff. And, and so... Obviously, first and foremost, you have to know your stuff. And I think I've echoed that throughout uh, this conversation. Like you, if you don't know your stuff, then then why are you the one delivering the message? Um, But if you do, assuming you do, and and you are the right person, and you do have something meaningful to say, it doesn't hurt to over-prepare, but I think it's a a good tool uh, to get you to a place where someday it just becomes second nature and you find you don't have to. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I think it's, it's interesting when we start to think about interviews, right? We hear them all the time. We certainly hear them on this podcast. We hear them on news shows. We hear them even on shows like Law and Order, where you've got, you know, officers questioning suspects. Uh, and in that case, there's like situations that can trap the interviewee up. Do you find there are times where you're in a situation where you feel like you're going to be trapped or is most of the time your opportunities in the media are to make you convey a successful message? Yeah, you know, this this is a good question because I, I do feel sometimes we will fear the worst and assume that everyone's out to get us and, and you know, the interviewer is going to be super tough. But actually, to your point, no, they it's in everybody's interest to have a successful free-flowing conversation that is informative and useful and more often than not they want to get the best out of you in fact the only time i would say that an interviewer may ever want to intentionally trap someone that they're speaking to is when they don't pass the test of all those questions i've asked before and and when they're really not the right person and then it becomes obvious and maybe they have some alternative agenda and and, and that might be you know in a position of public interest for the interviewer to try and uncover but otherwise If you really do have something meaningful to say and you are knowledgeable about it and you're sharing your wisdom with the world, I I really don't think there are interviewers out there that want to see anybody fail. It's just as much in their interest to have a free-flowing conversation. But on the off chance that, you know, you do encounter a question that could potentially be signs of a trap, uh, either intentionally or unintentionally, that's what bridging is for. And again, if you, you know your stuff and you prepare it's not insurmountable, uh, although it does take a little practice. Right. So what is something you wish you had known about media and the way that you present yourself when you were younger in your career? What What do you wish you could tell yourself? Oh, so many things, Christine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but there, there are two things I'd say, especially, um, I wish I, I fitted them out eventually, and I guess everybody does. But uh, I wish I figured them out earlier. It would have saved a lot of worry. But 
actually, first of all, based on, you know, what, what we were just discussing, nobody's judging you. You know, if you slip up, you make a mistake or you stumble over your words, absolutely no one is listening and thinking, oh my goodness, this person is such a moron. I can't believe anything they have to say. Um, that's just not, not the case, you know? So it's not only the, the, the interviewer that doesn't want to see you fail, but the listeners, um, you know, they're not there to critique you. They're there to learn from you. And I think as long as you have a message that ticks those boxes that I talked about earlier, the delivery isn't honestly what matters. It's the substance of your message. And although um, what you tend to find is that once you have a substantive message that's meaningful and purposeful, the delivery will naturally follow. Um, so if you have something to say, the rest will come naturally. So that's the first thing. And the second uh, piece of advice I wish I'd been given earlier on in my career is to not necessarily look around the room and see you know, a room full of speakers that don't look like you speak like you or think like you and to think to yourself that I don't belong here because really if you have something different or you need to say then that's exactly where you need to be and oftentimes the most compelling and interesting speakers and and, and media influencers are those that don't blend in with the rest of the crowd and I think as a you know for me as an ethnic minority female you know especially but I think this rings true for anybody it could be tricky sometimes to feel you don't belong in a room where no one looks like you, but but actually those are the people that really want to hear from you, I would imagine, and to get that different perspective. So not to worry so much about that. How encouraging. Thank you, Mona, for that reminder for those that are kind of looking around and saying that my voice is small or it's niche or it's different, um, giving them the confidence to, you know, understand their belief system, go through those questions and, and understand the message that they want to convey. I, I just love it. As I often say, I can't believe how fast the time goes, but our last question is always so fun for me. I'm an avid reader and I know you are too. So I think we all share in this idea that ideas and stories help us find footing and help us understand the whys in our life. So can you tell us what you're reading right now? Sure. So, um, I tend to read totally off topic and, and I do love to delve into nonfiction on a, on a subject matter that is um, seemingly completely divorced from, from my day-to-day job. It just helps me kind of think through things in a different way. Uh, I'm reading a couple of books right now, but um, I guess one I'll mention is The Gene, An Intimate History by Siddhartha Mukherjee. Um, he uh, is the Pulitzer Prize winning author of A Biography of Cancer, which I, which I read first and absolutely loved loved his style actually that is somebody that is a great media influencer indirectly you know through his writing because he's a practicing physician a doctor an oncologist who has something to say and is a really great communicator and uh you know he this gene book is is all about you know the influence and the history of the gene and how our knowledge has has uh, really developed over time and and in many ways there's some parallels with my space because uh you know if you go back through the history books this you know, transmitter of information or the essence of life, the gene, uh, such a hard thing to conceptualize and even spot under the microscope, but it was just waiting to be uncovered and discovered. And I, and I feel sometimes in ESG or sustainable finance in general, that there is, I do believe there is an objective truth out there. It's just waiting to be discovered, but very different from my field of specialty, but very enjoyable for me to get that different perspective. Thank you. We will absolutely be putting that book in our show notes and conveying that out to our listeners. And I encourage people to uh, to take a look. Thank you for that. And thank you, Mona, for your time today. I really enjoyed this conversation and I'm so thankful you were willing to come online with us and share your expertise on this podcast. 
Oh, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much, Christine, for inviting me. I, I really did enjoy our conversation. And, uh, and, and the rest of the podcast episodes are fantastic. So thank you for, for all that you're doing for our space. Thank you so much, Mona. And thank you, our listeners, for spending your time with us. I hope this is not just information, but you let it be transformational in how you think about your career. I'm rooting for you. To find out more about diversity, opportunity, and events in the exchange-traded fund industry, please visit womeninetfs.com. And while it lasts, be sure to grab your Thrive Guide on becoming the leader you want to be. You can download it at, with a K, christinedelano.com. If you haven't subscribed to We Talk Careers podcast, please make sure you do so. And if there's a topic you'd like us to tackle, let us know. All links are in the show notes. Thank you for listening.